Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. I raised this a little bit earlier on. I was asking you if when you look around the building where you are right now, if you stop for a minute and look around, how accessible is your building to the disabled? Something that if you're not disabled, I suppose you wouldn't give much thought, whether your doors are wide enough for a wheelchair to pass through, for instance, whether you've got ramps, whether you've got enough access to your building. And and often you would be surprised that even new buildings have not taken this into account. I've got Ari Seles, the CEO of Quad Para Association of South Africa, on the line with us to to take to talk to us about basically have they audited how many buildings comply and is it a crisis? Hello, uh, uh, Seles. Good afternoon. Thanks a lot for giving us the opportunity to uh, give you the lowdown on access or no access, especially for wheelchair users. Ari, I mean, the the common thing people think when you've given two, literally two parking bays in a building maybe filled of 400 people, it's enough. Do you think we've even started scratching the surface of access? Okay, that's a very interesting starting point and and, and, uh, prompt for me. Uh, The National Building Regulations, specifically um, uh, Part S, uh, deemed to satisfy or facilities for people with disabilities does have a specific ratio of number of wheelchair parking uh, in comparison to the number of bays in any, whether it's a development um, or uh, in, in a suburb or a municipality. So we are not unsatisfied with the number of bays allocated. Okay. Of course, in our opinion, um, we believe that if every single parking bay was three and a half meters wide, then you wouldn't specifically have to designate uh, parking to wheelchair users because no matter how many or how few parkings there are for wheelchair users, please know that a tremendous amount of abuse happens of those wheelchair parking. Mm. All of a sudden, everybody with any different ailment or a limp or a swerve or a health condition has the right or feels they have the right to use the base. So although wheelchair parking base aren't at the moment a big debate in terms of the building regulations, the abuse of them is a constant irritation mm. for wheelchair users. I mean, there was a—I think last year there was a bit of a campaign to name and shame or do something around all of us who abuse these parking bays. Uh, how far are we with that? Well, that's very interesting. We do have a WhatsApp number, mm. you know, that people can um, use and take a pic and inform us of, of people that are abusing bays. What do we do with that information? It's quite interesting. We look to see where's the commonalities, which shopping centers, for example, or which developments, for example, are having a lot of abuse. And instead of trying to change the behavior mm-hmm. of, of people, because that's a much greater task, mm-hmm. what we do is we look to those centers or developments to say, manage your facilities better. Mm-hmm. So maybe we ask them to introduce camping or to put cones to stop um, people using those space that shouldn't be using them. So, it informs us where abuse is taking place so that we can look at better ways of managing that space. Mm. So, okay, we've now moved from the ramps to really other really crucial things like the bathroom, for instance. Do we have a ratio of, of how well we're doing there? Well, that's also interesting. Thanks for moving into that area. We, we just believe, although the building regulations are strong, we never believe that they're strong enough. Wherever there's a bathroom facility, or male, female, there should always be a 
another facility for wheelchair users. And we also believe in the concept of let the, let the wheelchair facility be a unisex facility. So you don't have to have one in male and one in female. We just think there should be a third facility, which is unisex, for both male and female wheelchair users. And also, that particular space, we have no problem sharing the space with um, women and their prams and their babies mm-hmm. if they need to do a baby change. So that space can have lots of value and shared value with the community. But if you're not using a wheelchair and you don't have your baby um, that you need to change, you really shouldn't be using that space. So um, we always call for more facilities. And once again, it's another facility which tends to be abused by the public. Okay, and and then there are ramps, which which I think people just take for granted. People forget. Is this the most common forgotten element on on the building? Because I usually <laughs> find that it's people just forget. Yes, I think a lot of people think that um, so long as there's a, there's a ramp at the back of the building, mm-hmm. you know, to get um, uh, deliveries done uh, with the trolley, uh, that's sufficient for a wheelchair user. Mm-hmm. One of the days where wheelchair users. Uh, tolerate using the back end. Yes. Building regulations are quite clear. If there is a range of steps into a facility, there must always be a ramp and with a handrail to yeah. get into the building. And of course, it has a certain specifications in terms of its width, and it also has a specification in terms of a gradient. So a ramp should never be steeper than 1 and 12, and that's the minimum. So obviously, wheelchair users would be hoping that a ramp would be 1 in 20, which is much easier to walk up for a walker, or it's much easier to push up if you push in the wheelchair. And then again, I mentioned, which I think is, is quite important for everybody to know, the ramps are very useful for elderly people that do battle with stairs as well. Mm. Ramps are very useful for women that are pushing prams. Mm. Um, so they have the multi-usage benefits and in a, I, I do think that most new developments certainly don't transgress the building regulations, but it's to try and encourage those older developments to, to have renovations and retrofitting so that we can enjoy all these spaces, whether they be public buildings or private buildings. The one thing, though, that I do think is neglected quite some uh, somewhat is the uh, emergency exit. So the assumption that, for instance, the lift is the way up, right? In the event that there is no power and it happens, nobody thinks about, so what are we going to do? How are we going to have the exit plan? Because usually the exit plan is through the stairs. Well, another very interesting um uh, debate, uh, subject to allow me to talk about and so well done in terms of your research. We spent 20 years trying to get into buildings and up and around buildings and now we're going to spend hopefully not another 20 years showing authorities and showing developers how we need to get out of buildings. It's very critical that occupational health and safety allows for good evacuation of people with mobility impairs out of buildings out of buildings, and then we would prescribe that you have what's called an evac chair. That's a specialized chair that's very easy to use, that anybody can use, so that we can go down staircases when electricity goes off and lifts are cut off. Um, and so uh, very few buildings actually comply with it. Mm. Very few buildings have got the devices that are necessary mm. to evacuate people with mobility impairments 
out of buildings. And we would encourage them to to get these evac chairs and have them in the special holding areas designated. All right, Ari Serles is the CEO of Quad Power Association of South Africa. He's going to be with me until 2 o'clock, and this is the moment where you can call in 0891-104-207. Ask whatever question it is, because one of the things I'm sure you may want to ask is then, if my building doesn't comply, how do I get it to comply, an existing building? So this is one of many questions I think he'll have to answer. But you can also give us a call on 0891-104-207. Call Pimelo Mutine now. Ten minutes to two o'clock. My name is Pimelo Mutine. You're on SAFM's Life Happens. And as we celebrate 83 years of life here at SAFM, we're wishing ourselves a happy birthday. And those calls, we'll still take those calls. Your memories of how you've enjoyed the past 83 years with us here at the SABC. My guest this afternoon is Ari Selles, CEO of Quad Para Association of South Africa. We're talking about access, um, building access for the disabled. And uh, we were just discussing now whether if you have a building that doesn't necessarily fit all the requirements, how easy would it be to to comply? Ari, you know, I saw something quite innovative uh, recently, which was almost like, um, you know, for, for exiting a, a building which didn't have the necessary exit route, for instance. But all they had to do was to purchase what looks like a wheelchair that literally can slide over the stairs. So they didn't have to redo the entire building. Uh, I guess that would be uh, in terms of emergency evacuation. Yes. Uh, we, we, we obviously, it would be very difficult to get in the building with the same device. Ah. So yes, that um, is a common name for that type of device. It would be an evac chair. So it's got almost like some tracks on it. Yes. And uh, you, can, you can slide down stairways. And as I mentioned yes. earlier, it's very easy for anybody to assist someone who's mobility impaired to get into this device and to bring them down a stairway and out of a building very safely. Uh, the important thing is that those devices must be available on every floor of a building. And everybody must know where they are. There was a situation many, many years ago where they used to issue evacuation devices two individual wheelchair users who worked in the specific building. A year after year, what they didn't monitor was if those people left, if those people were promoted, let's say, or moved to another area of the mm. building. And so those devices got lost in transit. Mm. Every building now should have evacuation device on every floor next to the uh, holding area in the case of an emergency or a fire. Uh, for an evacuation. But, but Ari, you, were, you know, you just made a very good point. So they're great to leave the building, but what about entering the building? Well, the building itself must have adequate facilities according to the building regulations that a wheelchair user can self-propel themselves at least um, in and out of the building and anywhere in and out of the building. And of course, uh, you, you alluded to toilet facilities. You know, too often you'll have one toilet facility for the the wheelchair-using constituency, um, and then no other toilets in the whole rest of the building, whereas there are toilets on every floor, every second floor. Wherever there's a bank of toilet facilities, there must be the same facility for wheelchair users. 
So, Ari, someone who's listening is saying, okay, well, that's probably the, the, the company's problem and the company will have to figure out how it's going to pay its way about compliance. But, you know, with us as well as individuals, we, we don't think about these things until you have maybe a relative who needs the wheelchair to enter your house. And with the new developments, I swear the doors are becoming smaller and smaller. It's very interesting. I think... Um uh, one of our initiatives that Quasa takes as well is to influence architects on universal design and universal accessibility to say there's a much bigger constituency than you actually realize. Not only wheelchair users who need the facilities that make a place universally accessibility, uh, universally accessible. So yes, um, some people get very creative with doors and they make them look good. They really need to be functional and they need to work well instead of looking good. And it's a big part that we have with creative designers where they put aesthetics over and above uh, function. So we believe in function above form. And if that was the case and adopted by everybody, we'd be far more independent in the built environment. And then earlier on, you mentioned about um, you know elderly people. It's... Mm. Wonderful to be able to take granny and grandpa mm-hmm. who are mobility impaired out into the environment. They spend money, they enjoy their lives better, and uh, it keeps families together. So there's a big advantage. You're not only really satisfying the needs of, let's say, your well-known quadriplegics or paraplegics in the community. Mm. But so, you know, with all this being said, um, often I think we, we also don't know what, what's recourse. If, if, if you have a company that's just not compliant, that's just not looking to fix things and, and to invest in this kind of development, what, what can we do? How do we influence that? Okay. Well, there's a couple of ways of influencing, I guess. The first way and the most effective way um, is inform Quasar because we, the Quad Para Association of South Africa, have no problem with investing. If we, if we get a complaint about somebody that feels the building is not accessible, yep. you let us know and I'll give you the contact details. And then we generally try and find out who's the landlord or who's the owner of the development and ask the question, does the building comply, yes or no, with the building regulations? Mm-hmm. If it's not, we will initiate the action. Okay. If it does, give us a chance to have a look and see where the problems lie, even if it does comply. So we, we are a very strong lobby and advocacy organization, and we would love to follow up on behalf of anybody's complaint. Look, we obviously don't want to scare people. Just relative to the cost of the building and the value of the building, what kind of percentages are we looking at when you fully want to adapt your building and maybe it is a really old building? Another very good question. If you build the building from the beginning with complying with the building regulations, no extra cost, mm. absolutely none. But when you start retrofitting, you're going to pay the price of not complying with the building regulations. So we mustn't be seen as an extra cost factor. If it's integrated into the design from the beginning, there's no extra cost, and you're just making the building available to a much larger constituency of people. But of course, if you didn't get it right and there's an extra cost, well, we are seen as creating cost, whereas we see of someone who hasn't complied as excluding us from society or that particular environment. And if you uh, think um, about, let's say, the tourism industry, the more you cater and the more your facility 
and is compliance with universal access requirements. The greater the market you can sell your product to. Do you generally get resistance? <laughs> well, uh, I don't want to generalize. Yes, yes, the word yes, general. Yes, yes. Of course, many, many developers and uh, uh, people that are building buildings to make lots of money, to rent them out for mm. as much as they can, mm. do take shortcuts. Mm. Uh, I must say, if you allowed us uh, another time to talk about some success stories, there are some wonderful environments that have been designed by some awesome architects, which include um, everybody um, into them. Um, but, of course, we're still living in an environment where we're trying to make good buildings that will be for years and years. Uh, haven't complied with the building regulations or when they were built, when the regulations were not strong enough. So, um, uh, I must say, it's still very frustrating sure. for wheelchair users in South Africa at the moment. That's and unbelievable. The, it's, it's the, the, one of the biggest shortfalls mm. for people with mobility impairments actually is the lack of accessible public transport. Sure. Because that um, oh. uh, keeps us away from uh, skills, keeps us away from employment, keeps us away from socialising, keeps us away from integration. So the public, uh, an accessible, integrated public transport system mm. is is extremely valuable for our community. Gosh, I never even thought about that. I mean, look at that. Uh, so you're talking about buses and trains and that kind of thing? Absolutely. I mean, the train, uh, the trains, train stations, platforms and rolling stock are not accessible at all. Sure. Very few long-haul buses cater for wheelchair users. We are very pleased to see the development in 14 cities of the integrated rapid transport systems like a BRT. So, for example, Rio Bahia and Johannesburg, Arayeng and Victoria, um, uh, the, the integrated transport system in Cape Town, which allows us now to navigate the urban areas. The problem also is that there's very little accessible transport facility in rural areas. Mm. So if you're mobility impaired and you want your best chance of integrating into a decent lifestyle, you pretty much have to move to an urban area that's got a BRT system in place. So, so insightful. Thank you so much for your time, Ari Sellis, who is a CEO of Quad Para Association of South Africa. They're on social media. If you need your building to comply, these are the people to go to and they will do it all for you. It's now two o'clock.